Most of my books are now available as audiobooks. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash audiobooks. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. What's down there? I rented a cabin in the deep woods of Canada. So deep, in fact, that one could only reach it via helicopter. It's a bit pricey, but I don't care. I'm big into solo hiking. I like being plopped down hours from civilization and enjoying the peaceful solace of the deep woods. This place was perfect for such an experience. I adventured some distance from my small one-room cabin. There were no human paths or trails to go down. I'd occasionally step onto a thin, worn animal trail, but those gradually transformed back into the natural surroundings. I had been hiking for quite some time when I came across something peculiar in the distance. It looked like a jagged tube of some sort. It was possible that it was part of the landscape, such as a broken tree limb, but there was something about it that made me feel as if it was man-made. Not many people experience the woods this far out, so to come across some kind of human debris was a little unusual, especially something of that size. It only took me a few minutes to reach the object that I assume would be some form of rubbish. To my amazement, It was nothing of the sort. What I discovered was a large cylindrical smooth metal pipe protruding from the ground. It was black and blended in well with the environment. A lot of people likely wouldn't have noticed it. The pipe was approximately three feet around and sloped at the end, similar to a periscope. But there was no magnification aspect to the pipe. It was hollow. Obviously, it was some kind of air vent that was extending from deep under the ground. What was down there? It was then that I heard a loud hissing snort not far away from some trees. It was followed by the rustling of leaves and the snapping of twigs. Something was out there with me. I was hoping it was a deer, but it could have been a moose or possibly a bear. I had bear spray, but sure didn't want to find myself in a situation where I had to use it. The crunching sound of something moving around not too far from me grew louder, and then I noticed it from multiple directions. Whatever it was, it wasn't alone. Look, I wasn't alarmed or anything. I knew it was probably just some deer but I was taking the possibility of it being a mother bear with her cubs seriously. 
That was definitely not a situation I wanted to find myself in, so my motivation to find the entrance to wherever this mysterious pipe led was elevated. It was just dumb luck that I stepped on a section of the forest floor that seemed to give slightly as though there was a hollow ground underneath it. I bent down and lifted up several inches of soft soil from the forest floor and found myself staring at a large metal hatch. It was bound by a thick chain and security lock. Fortunately for me, I used to be a world-class locksmith, so picking this lock was a breeze. I cautiously lifted the metal hatch and saw a set of concrete stairs that led about 15 feet down into the earth and ended at a rusty metal door. The door was also secured by a heavy chain and lock that I had no problem undoing. As I slowly, carefully pulled the door open, a cloud of dust escaped into the air and the rusty hinges of the door screamed to life. I stood there staring into a concrete hallway that quickly disappeared in the darkness, and I found myself with two choices. I could get out of there and forget I ever encountered this place. That would probably be the wise choice. But I'm extremely curious by nature. That's one of the reasons I'm so into solo hiking in the deep woods. There's a certain thrill with discovering unique areas that no one else has ever encountered. My other option was to throw caution to the wind and explore. It took me approximately half a second to make the decision. I pulled out my flashlight, aimed the beam of light in front of me, and journeyed forward. The smell of mildew was strong, but I'm one of those guys who kind of likes the damp mildew scent, so it didn't bother me. Rubble from slightly decaying walls crunched under my feet, and in no time the hallway transformed from bare cold slate to dull green painted walls and a white ceiling. The hallways seemed endless, but had subtle turns to them that did not allow me to see very far ahead of me. As I trekked on, I noticed that the dull green walls became more vibrant and clean, as though they had been repainted recently, and the floor of the hallway smoothed out, and the rubble all but disappeared. The acoustics of the hallway were unnerving. I could hear my deep breaths echoing off the cold concrete walls and my footsteps were amplified. I could feel a slight breeze tickling my face, so I knew there had to be another opening down the hallway at some point. How far ahead, I had no clue, but I continued on. I was fascinated by this place. With it being in such a remote area, it had to be some kind of secret bunker, shelter, or maybe a lab or research facility. I didn't know, but I was determined to find out. I stopped in my tracks when I heard a sound I wasn't expecting. It was an electronic beep. It was faint, but there was no mistaking what it was, so I trudged forward toward the sound. As I rounded a bend, the beam of my flashlight splashed against a humongous iron door. 
This door wasn't rusty like the entrance I came in through. It was modern, shiny, and unusually thick, similar to a bank vault. And it was partially open. I stood silently and listened. I could hear a series of light beeping sounds and subtle bubbling. I heard no voices or footsteps, and I could only see darkness through the narrow opening of the door, so I was fairly confident there wasn't anyone else around. That confidence allowed me to continue my exploration. I pushed the insanely heavy door open just enough for me to squeeze my body through. I found myself in a large, humid room. The front section that I was in was darkened, but in the back section of the room I could see a dim, flashing, fluorescent light. But my attention was drawn to something else. The cylinders. There was a row of large glass cylinders. They were filled with a light blue fluid and had gloomy lights above them which cast an eerie blue glow over the center of the room. I stepped up to the first cylinder that held what I was certain was a human fetus. I'd say it was in the eight-week stage with visible limbs, bulbous eyes, and the bump of a nose. In the next cylinder was a similarly aged fetus but this was clearly that of a pig. The next several cylinders showed human and pig fetuses at increasing rates of development. Halfway down the row of cylinders, something changed. I was no longer looking at two different stages of human and pig fetuses. I was looking at one fetus that appeared to be the combination of human and pig. The last few cylinders showed this abomination of a creature in late-stage fetus form until I reached the final cylinder. There, I was looking at an infant. A human infant with a pig-like snout, pointed ears, and a curled tail. The loud static buzz of the flashing fluorescent light at the end of the room startled me enough to shift my attention from the humanoid creature. It was then that I saw another metal door. This door had a round window in the center. It too was partially ajar, and I let out a gasp when I saw a splash of blood on the floor next to the door's opening. I could hear beeping coming from the room beyond the door, and through the glass window of the door I could see that the room's lights were on. I had come this far. There was no way I was turning back now. I moved to the door, opened it wide, sidestepped the blood splatter on the floor, and entered the room. I was immediately met with the stench of musky body odor, animal excrement, and stale blood. What I saw was pure chaos. There were multiple men in lab coats lying dead on the floor, smeared with blood. I also saw two men in security guard uniforms. They too were lifeless on the green tiled floor and bloody. The room was modern. There were panels on each wall with a variety of colored, flashing, beeping lights. 
An assortment of computer monitors were placed throughout the counters which lined the room, and there were countless glass cabinets against the walls with an array of medical-type equipment, bottles, and jars housed within. The glass in some of the cabinets had been shattered. Some of the computer monitors had crashed to the floor. Various medical equipment was thrown around. The room was in disarray, and there was blood everywhere. Some major conflict had taken place in that room, and the blood on the floors and walls had barely begun to clot, so this had not happened long ago. I picked up a notebook that was lying open on the blood-stained floor and scanned over it. There was a lot of medical lingo, but the words hybrid and organs were prominent in the few pages I leafed through. I then turned my attention to one of the computer monitors near me. The screen was cracked and smoking a tad, but I could clearly read what was on the screen. It was an order form for internal organs. Hearts, lungs, livers, kidneys, tendons swaths of flesh, and so on. They referred to the organs being ordered as hybrid organs. It finally dawned on me what was happening. They were creating some kind of human-pig hybrid and harvesting their organs. A loud metallic clatter at the back of the room caused me to jump and let out an audible scream of fright. It was only then that I noticed the row of jail cells toward the shadowy back of the room. I could see ten of them before they disappeared into the darkness. The cell doors were all open. I could see large bowls of water within most of them. Hay lined the floor of the cells, and there was some kind of hefty metallic feeder attached to the back of the cell. It was an oversized version of something you might expect to see in a hamster cage. Another loud rattle echoed through the room and made me jump again. It was coming from the darkness, so I pointed my flashlight to the gloomy back of the room and fixed the beam on the last cell in the row. It was the only cell that was still closed. I could see fingers wrapped around the cell's bar, and I didn't startle this time when the person inside shook the door again. As I slowly made my way toward the closed cell, a musky odor emerged that made me cough. It was a barnyard or circus smell, pungent, animalistic. Hello? I wanted the person in the cell to acknowledge me, and they did so by shaking the cell door once again. I stepped up my pace, shined the beam of my flashlight directly into the cell, and found myself face to face with a humanoid beast. It had a pig-like snout. Its ears were pointed and moved around as if to hear better. The fingers of the creature were long and ended at sharp nails, and it had cloven hooves. I looked into its scrunched-up, wrinkled pink face and froze when I saw its eyes. It's human eyes that were welled with tears. I wanted to say something, but was at a loss for words. My communication delay was rendered irrelevant as the creature broke the ice, 
by pointing at the keyhole in the cell door and grunting. It wanted out. I looked around and saw a ring of skeleton keys lying on a counter nearby. I quickly snatched them and started for the cell door before I came to my senses and paused. Clearly there were other creatures like this in here that got out and killed all of these men. What was going to keep this one from doing the same to me? It was the eyes. The monster's eyes made it clear that it did not want to harm me. It simply wanted to be free. It took a few tries, but I finally found a key that fit into the hole. I turned it, and with a loud click, the cell door was unlocked, and I pulled it open. The creature stepped forward. It had a hunched back and walked stooped over. It ran to the door that I had come in through and opened it all the way. It stopped and stared at me for a moment and then motioned for me to come to it. So I did. When I reached the hybrid creature, it pointed toward the row of glowing fetus cylinders in the next room and then gave me a nudge and let out a series of grunts and hisses. It took my dense mind a few seconds, but I finally realized what it wanted. It wanted me to show it the way out. I hurried through the fetus room to the hallway and raced through the winding corridors with the hybrid creature following close behind. Finally we reached the rusty metal door. I pushed it open, dashed up the steps, and flung the metal hatch open. As I emerged out of the hole in the ground, I could feel the warm sunshine greeting me, along with a heavy animalistic scent and a cacophony of loud, aggressive grunts, squeals, and snorts. I found myself encircled by half a dozen hybrid creatures. It was the other creatures from the cells, the ones who had broken out and killed their captors. They obviously thought I too was one of their captors and they were not happy with me. I could see rage in their human eyes and one of them let out a battle cry before it charged me. Before it could reach me I was shoved out of the way by the hybrid I had rescued and it held the furious creature at bay. After a short discussion of grunts and growls, the other hybrids relaxed, realizing that I was not the enemy, and one by one they turned and disappeared into the deep dark forest. The lone hybrid left was the one I rescued. It stood and stared at me with appreciation. I nodded and spoke to it. You know, whoever runs this place, when they find out you escape, they'll come after you. You need to get far away from here. Far away. I could tell in its thankful eyes that it understood what I said. It let out a soft grunt, and then quickly scurried away out of my sight. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. The Scarecrow Not far from the small midwestern town of Shell Rock, Iowa, is a cornfield. Standing prominently in the middle of the cornfield is a scarecrow. Local legend says that the scarecrow within the field not only scares off crows, but occasionally comes to life to frighten away any person who trespasses on the land. Over the years, several people in the area insist that they have encountered the scarecrow, and some say not all have lived to tell about it. The cornfield in question is owned by an elderly gentleman referred to simply as Old Man Crawford. Some claim that the old man is the true source behind the legend of the scarecrow, theorizing that it is Old Man Crawford himself who dresses up as a scarecrow to terrify those who dare enter his cornfield. Others insist that the scarecrow is a paranormal specter guarding the cornfield by any means necessary, sometimes even murder, to keep those with wicked intentions at bay. The following are the tales told by those who have had strange experiences in or around the cornfield where the scarecrow lives. The Scarecrow Bike Ride I work at a hardware store in Shell Rock. If the weather allows for it, I like to ride my bike to and from work. There are multiple routes I can take based on my mood. On the day in question, I was riding down a side road that borders Old Man Crawford's cornfield. I could see the scarecrow mounted up high over the corn, staring out at everything. Man, that is one creepy scarecrow. The scarecrow's head is a burlap sack with hay sticking out at the bottom and protruding from multiple small holes around the face area. The eyes carved into the sack are sharp-edged, elongated monster eyes, and the mouth is shaped into an evil, fang-filled frown. Atop the head is an old, weathered, wide-brimmed straw hat. The body of the scarecrow is a large, dark brown shirt tied together with various strips of heavy rope. There are numerous yellow and orange patches along the shirt where it had been patched up over the years. The focal point of the scarecrow attire is the large scythe that it holds in a threatening manner. If you don't know what a scythe is, it's an antique farming tool used to harvest wheat. It's basically a long wooden pole with a handle and a huge menacing curved blade at the end. Some say the scarecrow is actually made from a human corpse due to the skeletal hands that are grasping the scythe. It was a gloomy day, but there was no rain forecast, just clouds, so I felt comfortable riding my bike. 
I had been eyeing the intimidating scarecrow for the majority of my ride on that road, and it was starting to give me the willies. I almost felt as though I was being watched, so I kept my focus forward on the road ahead of me. At one point, I took a quick glance at the scarecrow, and I swear to God, it looked as though it had moved closer to me. I increased my pace and made a point not to look at the scarecrow anymore. Of course, the harder I try not to look at it, the more I want it to, so I took another glance. It was closer again. I kept telling myself it was an optical illusion or, or my mind was playing tricks on me, but I knew there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that that thing had moved closer to me. After a few minutes of pedaling at a furious pace, I let myself coast for a bit as I caught my breath, and I couldn't help but take another peek. The scarecrow was gone. I panicked. I I lost control of my bike and crashed it onto the gravel on the side of the road. I scraped up my elbows pretty good, but I wasn't concerned about that. My only worry was where the scarecrow was. As I picked up my bike from the ground and began to mount it, I could hear deep, wheezing breath coming from just within the cornfield. I have no doubt it was the Scarecrow. It was waiting for me, daring me to enter the cornfield. I quickly got on my bike and rode away as fast as I could. I have never taken that route to or from work ever again. The Scarecrow. The Path. My name is Jerry. I'm 11 years old. My younger sister Sally and I live in a farmhouse right next to Old Man Crawford's cornfield. We cut through his cornfield every day as a shortcut to get to the bus stop. Over the years, we've created a small path through the field, and we never venture off of that path. Well, except for one day. It was a bright sunny day, and we got out of school early. We were walking down the path as usual, the path through the cornfield went directly by the Scarecrow. The Scarecrow never bothered me, but my little sister Sally was scared of it. She'd often close her eyes as we walked by it. I can understand why Sally or anyone would be afraid of the Scarecrow. It was scary. It was big and ugly. It smelled bad, like rotting meat. And it held its weapon as if it was waiting, hoping for someone to give it an excuse to use it. I was mean to Sally that day. I was teasing her about the Scarecrow. I kept telling her the Scarecrow could sense her fear and it was going to come to life and get her. And then I did something I always regret. I ran. After I told her the Scarecrow was going to get her, I took off like a bolt of lightning, leaving her in the Scarecrow's vicinity all by herself. I could hear her running, trying to catch up with me, and screaming in terror all the way. I was laughing when I noticed that I couldn't hear Sally running behind me anymore. I stopped and listened. Sally? Nothing. No response. Sally? I trotted back in the direction from which I came, calling out for Sally the entire time. As I passed by the Scarecrow's post... I noticed it was gone. The gigantic post it was hung on was still there, but the scarecrow wasn't. 
Sally? I grew anxious as I ran at full speed calling out for Sally, but getting no response. Where was she? Was she okay? And where was the scarecrow? Did it actually come to life? Did it get her? When I turned a bend in the path, I saw Sally. She was lying face down on the ground and she wasn't moving. Sally! I rushed up to her side and let out an enormous sigh of relief when I heard her whimpering. She had tripped and fallen onto the ground. She said she heard something moving around within the corn and was terrified that it was the scarecrow that was coming to get her. I apologized to her profusely as I helped her to her feet and brushed the dirt off her long skirt. It was then that she told me that she dropped her lunchbox when she fell and it tumbled off the path into the cornfield. She pointed to where it went and I stepped off the path and into the cornfield to retrieve it. As soon as I stepped into the cornfield, a heavy gust of wind practically knocked me off balance, and I could hear something moving just a few feet in front of me. I couldn't see what it was. It was concealed by the corn stalks, but I could hear it. It was something big, and it was stomping toward me. I got scared and quickly backed out of the cornfield. As soon as I stepped back onto the path, Sally's lunchbox was hurled out of the cornfield and clanged onto the ground in front of us. I stood there holding Sally's hand and listening for whatever was in the cornfield. I didn't move a muscle until I was sure it wasn't going to come after us. It was a few minutes of silence later when I felt like we were safe. I picked up Sally's lunchbox and we walked toward home. As we approached the Scarecrow's post, I let out a gasp when I saw that the Scarecrow was back, posed as it always was. Sally asked me what was wrong. I told her nothing was. I never told Sally about the Scarecrow being gone from its post that day. We did continue to use that path through Old Man Crawford's cornfield, but I never left the path again, I never teased Sally again, and I gave the Scarecrow the respect it deserved. We never had another incident after that. The Scarecrow Making Out There's a spot in Old Man Crawford's cornfield that you can pull into right off the road and the corn shields the vehicle from view. It's a great make-out spot. It was a cool, starry Friday night and I was dating a gal named Janet. I talked her into letting me take her to the cornfield so we could fool around a little bit. I pulled her into the cornfield, shut off the engine, and got to business. We were making out pretty good when I used my patented maneuver of sliding my hand down the side of the passenger seat and popping the lever which leans the seat all the way back. And Janet wasn't objecting, so I thought I had a good chance at going all the way. The mood was ruined when I heard a loud bang on the hood of the car. I spun my head around but didn't see anyone. Janet was alarmed and asked what that was. I told her it was probably just a piece of corn falling from a stalk and hitting the hood. That relaxed her enough for us to get back to it. 
I was in the process of unbuttoning Janet's blouse when the entire car suddenly began to shake back and forth as if someone were outside pushing on the bumper. Janet was frightened, and I was pissed off. I grabbed my lug wrench from the back seat and jumped out of the car. Who's out here? I quickly circled the entire car looking for the culprit so I could give them a piece of my mind and possibly dent their head in with my lug wrench. That's when I saw it. The scarecrow. It was standing in the cornfield just beyond a row of corn in the darkness. Its menacing eyes were glistening under the moonlight and it was holding its blade. I didn't wait around for it to attack. I rushed back to my car and peeled rubber out of there. The Scarecrow. The Dare. Back in high school, there were a group of us kids who used to dare each other to do stupid things. One weekend, I dared my friend Alex Kintner to run up to Old Man Crawford's door, knock on it, and then hide in the cornfield. Alex was a brave soul and didn't hesitate to take me up on the dare. We drove up alongside the cornfield as close to Old Man Crawford's house as we could get and dropped Alex off. It shouldn't have taken him more than five minutes to get to the house and another 10 or 15 minutes to hide and then make his way back through the cornfield to our car. An hour later, when Alex still hadn't returned, our group searched through the entire cornfield calling for him. I was the one who found the puddle of blood. It was in front of the scarecrow. We called the police and they questioned old man Crawford. He said he never heard a knock on the door and claimed that he was asleep during the time they asked him about. The police believed his story. Alex Kintner was never found people around these parts say the Scarecrow killed him. The Scarecrow Old Man Crawford I've lived on this farm all my life. My folks died when I was a young man and I inherited the place. The Scarecrow has always been here. It was here when my parents got the farm. We don't know who put it up, but it has always done its job. It keeps the critters away from messing with the corn. The legend of the Scarecrow keeps most people away, too. I can't say I have any complaints about that. I understand some people think it's me dressed up in a Scarecrow costume, terrifying the town folk and keeping the legend alive. And that's nonsense, of course. For the most part. I don't like folks coming around at night. When I caught wind that a young man was using my cornfield to seduce young ladies, I confess that it was me that scared him off. I pounded on his car and rocked it back and forth. I then stepped back into the shadows of the cornfield. I was wearing a large brimmed hat and holding a scythe. When the young man spotted me, he thought sure he was seeing the scarecrow. I get a laugh out of that one to this day. As for those kids who cut through my field to get to the bus stop, I don't mind at all. They don't disturb the corn, and their noise helps keep the crows in check. Their little tail is probably just a child's imagination running wild. 
That's what I tell people anyway. The death of the Kittener boy was unfortunate. I assume he's dead. They found blood, but never found his body. I lied to the police when I told them I didn't hear the boy knock on my door that night. I heard him, and when I answered the door, I saw him running off into the cornfield. I was angry. He woke me from my sleep, you see. I grabbed my shotgun and gave chase. I wouldn't have hurt him if I caught him. I'd have just tried to scare him a little bit, but I never found him. I did, however, find the blood, and not just the pool of blood the girl found. I also found blood on the tip of the scarecrow's scythe. I wiped the scythe off real good and left it at that. So, is the legend of the scarecrow true? If it is, I have a message for the unwanted that come around these parts. Beware. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Halloween Babysitter My name is Lori, and back in the 1980s when I was 15 years old, Halloween night was a popular evening for babysitting. I had over five different options to choose from, but opted to give my services to the first people that ever gave me a babysitting job, the Doyle family. I had babysat for them countless times. Their only child was a little girl named Annie. She was eight years old, particularly petite for her age, and cute as a button. She was a pleasure to babysit for. After Mr. and Mrs. Doyle left for their Halloween party, I dressed little Annie in her Halloween costume. She was dressed as a cupcake with sprinkles. Trick-or-treating in that neighborhood was a huge event. All of the houses were decked out in spooky glory. Spiderwebs, skeletons, ghosts, and pumpkins were out in full force. It was a great night for trick-or-treating. The air had an autumn crispness to it, but the temperature was comfortable. The neighborhood echoed with kids' laughter and the constant joyous bellow of trick-or-treat! I would stand at the end of each house's walkway and would let little Annie go up to the house herself. She was so cute waddling up to the houses in her bulky cupcake costume holding her little candy bag. At one point, as she was standing on a porch getting her bag stuffed with more candy, I noticed a man from across the street who gave me a chill. He had on a long red cloak. The hood was up over his head, but I could see his pasty face enough to notice where his eyes were directed. He was staring at little Annie. The man stood out for a couple of reasons. 
He was unusually tall and lean. And he was all alone. Everybody else out on the streets that night were in groups. Parents with little kids or older children clustered together. Nobody was solo, except for this man. When Annie returned to me, we moved on to the next house, and the creepy image of the tall, cloaked man left my mind. We continued hitting house after house, block after block. At one point, I ran into my boyfriend, Ben. He was out with a bunch of his friends. They were all dressed as skeletons. We chatted for a bit as Annie went up to the next house on our trick-or-treating journey. Ben and I had plans to attend a late-night Halloween party after the Doyles got back home. By the time Ben gave me a kiss on the cheek and ventured down the block with his buddies, I expected Annie to be back from her latest candy grab. But she wasn't. I turned my head to see where she was and was shocked to see her standing in the lawn. Kneeling down next to her was that creepy man in the cloak. Annie, come here. I hurried toward her as I spoke. As I approached them, I saw the lanky man running his long, slender fingers over Annie's costume. I still couldn't make out his face very well, but his skin was unnaturally pale, and it didn't look like makeup. I could hear him sniffing Annie, and heard him speak to her in a smooth, eerie voice. Mmm, you look tasty. I grabbed Annie by the wrist, and we hurried away from the ominous man. I kept an extra eye out for that creep while we finished up our trick-or-treating for the night. I kept telling myself that it was probably just a man in the neighborhood trying to add a little bit of innocent fright into the night. Yeah, that's probably all it was. Once we called it a night for our trick-or-treating adventure, we went back to the Doyle residence, and I manned the door for all the late-night trick-or-treaters in the area. At one point, when I opened the door and gave the costume kids a hefty dose of candy, something across the street caught my eye. It was him, the tall, lean, cloaked man. He was standing under a tree. He was staring at our house. Even under the shadow of the tree in the darkness of the night, I could see his pale skin glistening from under his hood. We had several more trick-or-treaters that night, and I was relieved that I didn't see the cloaked man again. It was 9.15 p.m. when I ran out of candy and turned off the porch light. Annie and I had just settled in on the couch and were watching a Charlie Brown Halloween cartoon when I swear I heard something outside. It sounded like someone was clawing at the windows. I got up looked out the window, but noticed nothing unusual. The streets had gone quiet, and it appeared that the last of the trick-or-treaters had called it a night. I sat back down next to Annie. About 15 minutes later, the phone rang, and I answered, Doyle residence. There was no answer from the other end, but I could hear breathing, heavy breathing, and it didn't sound intentional or sexual. It just sounded like heavy, natural breath. I hung up. Annie and I watched light-hearted Halloween-themed shows until 10 o'clock p.m., and then I put her to bed. 
It was an eventful night for her, so she was out the second her head hit the pillow. I went back downstairs to the living room, cuddled up on the couch with a throw blanket, and flipped the channel over to a scary Halloween movie. I was about 30 minutes into the movie when I noticed the silhouette of a tall figure passing by the front window. I was truly frightened and immediately picked up the phone to call my boyfriend Ben. I was going to ask him to come over and stay with me until Annie's parents got home. The phone was dead. There was no dial tone, no busy signal, nothing. It was just completely dead. I was considering going to my neighbor's house to let them know I was a little freaked out. Maybe they'd come sit with me or at least let me use their phone to call Ben. That's when I heard an unusual metallic jiggling. I followed the sound to the front door and could see the handle moving. Someone was outside trying to open the door. The Doyle house did not have a window next to their front door. In order to see who was out there, I had to walk out of the foyer and to the living room. The front window had a good view of the porch. By the time I reached the window, the jiggling had stopped. I pulled the window curtain open and peered outside, but there was nobody there. I immediately chained the front door and started checking all of the windows in the house to make sure they were all locked. When I reached a window in the back of the house in the laundry room, I noticed that the curtains were blowing. The window was wide open. Just as I closed it and locked it tight, I heard the high-pitched scream of little Annie coming from her second-floor bedroom. I raced through the house, up the stairs, and into Annie's bedroom. I had left her bedroom door open, and she told me when she woke up, she saw a tall man in the hallway. He was watching her. I rushed to Annie's bedroom door and shut it. My plan was to lock that door and just wait in Annie's bedroom until Mr. and Mrs. Doyle returned. But Annie's bedroom door had no lock. I turned off the lights in Annie's room, got Annie out of bed, and held her in my arms. I cowered down in a dark corner and tried to be as silent as I could. The hallway light was still on. My heart just about stopped when I saw the shadow of two legs standing on the other side of Annie's bedroom door. I held my breath hoping the shadow would go away, but it persisted, and then I heard what I can only describe as loud sniffing sounds. I was not going to just wait there for him to enter, so I took the initiative. I got up and ever so carefully opened Annie's second floor bedroom window. There was a small four foot ledge outside. It was just big enough for both of us to stand on. I picked up Annie, set her outside on the ledge, and then crawled out next to her. I quietly pushed the window shut just as I heard Annie's bedroom door fling open. There was nowhere for us to go from there. We were too high to jump off of the house, and the tiny ledge we were on was too low to use to get to the main roof of the house. All we could do was stand there and hope he didn't open the window and see us. Because if he did, 
he could easily reach out and grab us. We both sat there quietly, nervously. Annie was whimpering with fear, but I ran my hand down the back of her long, curly hair in an attempt to relax her. It seemed to work, and she was able to remain silent. As for me, I could literally hear my heart beating in my chest as I listened to the heavy footsteps of the intruder walking through the room. I heard the bedroom closet door being opened and the hanging clothes within being pushed about. He was searching for us. I could hear the closet door slam shut with frustration and then things were being thrown about the room as though the intruder was having a temper tantrum from not being able to find us. Then everything went silent. I was hoping he had left the bedroom, but I didn't hear his footsteps leave. After the longest time, I finally heard something. Sniffing. And then suddenly, the cloaked pale man pressed his sickly face against the window and stared directly at me. His eyes were evil and yellow. He grinned sadistically, revealing a row of pointed, shark-like teeth. He had us. There was nothing I could do as he raised up the window and reached out while sniffing eagerly. It was then that I realized he had no interest in me. He was pushing me away and reaching past me as he attempted to grab Annie. Just then, the roar of an engine echoed through the night as Mr. and Mrs. Doyle's car pulled into the driveway. The sinister, pale, cloaked man glared at me and then smashed his fists through the window, shattering the glass in anger. And then he was gone. The police did a thorough search of the house and the surrounding neighborhoods, but could find no sign of the lanky stranger. I wish I could say that this story had a happy ending, but two weeks later, little Annie went missing and was never seen again. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. The Slaughtered Wolf The Slaughtered Wolf is the name of a cozy pub north of Boltby in the North York Moors. It's my home away from home. On any night on a full moon, country folk gather together at the Slaughtered Wolf at dusk and drink until dawn. Some call it a tradition, but it's much more than that. The Slaughtered Wolf is a classic old-style one-room pub with a fireplace, candles on the walls, a dartboard, tables set up with chessboards, and drinks that never stop flowing. The exterior of the pub is bordered with a beautiful flowering plant known as Wolfsbane. 
The comfy pub might well be mistaken for a cottage if it weren't for the foreboding sign outside featuring the severed head of a wolf. It was a full moon on a Saturday night when a monster of a storm had descended upon the desolate countryside. The rain was freezing cold like blades of ice. Even the raging fireplace couldn't defeat the chill that had settled deep within my bones. The lively chatter inside the pub's walls couldn't shield us from the roar of the thunder that shook the ground every few seconds. But still we knew we were safe in the pub on this cold, dreary, dangerous night. It was when a stranger entered the pub that all went silent and still. He stood intimidated for a moment as all eyes were cast upon him before he nervously said, Hello. An American boy, tall, thin, late teens, wearing a padded winter jacket, hiking across the moors, no doubt, evidently doing it solo, not even wearing a cap to defend against the rain. Ignorant, stupid, but weren't we all at that age? He gazed about the pub nervously and momentarily gawked at the pentagram inscribed within a circle that had been carved into the wall. That aspect of the pub gives most people pause, but that's fine with us. We don't care for strangers in these parts, especially during a full moon. They tend to entice that which we want to stay away. He meandered up to the bar, ordered a pint, and sipped at it as the regulars settled back in and continued their conversations. He wouldn't be a problem, not as long as he stayed inside the pub. I overheard the young man ask if there was an inn nearby that he could spend the night. There was, but it would take him near an hour to walk there. Much shorter, of course, if one of us were to give him a lift in a motor car, but none of us would be leaving the safety of the pub during a full moon. He finished three quarters of his pint, stepped up to the blazing fireplace, warmed his hands, and then headed for the door to leave. I stood up. Hold on, mate. You don't want to go back out there. The American boy turned toward me and grinned. I'm beat. I need a place to sleep. I'm headed for the inn. I pointed to a battered and worn couch near the corner of the pub. You can lie down there till morning. We'll make a point to keep things quiet for you. He took a glance at the uninviting couch and let out a chuckle. <laughs> no thanks, but if anyone wants to give me a lift to the inn, I'd be much obliged. Silence. The patrons of the pub looked around sheepishly. They wanted to help the lad, but none were going to risk their lives for him. After allowing us all plenty of time to speak up, the American boy shook his head with disappointment. Okay then. As he left the security of the pub and closed the door behind him, I couldn't keep silent. I had to try something so I yelled out to him, No! Don't go! There's something dangerous out there! The young lad didn't hear me, or didn't care. 
We were all hushed for a long moment before Maggie, the barkeep, spoke up. We can't let him go. I raised my voice. I tried to warn him. Our eyes widened with fear when we heard the howling. Deep, guttural, and loud, like the blast of a demented, jagged tuba. It's close. Maggie tried to remain hopeful. Maybe he'll hear it and come back. I shook my head. It's too late. I grabbed my raincoat and rifle and hurried out the door. Several of the fellow pub dwellers joined me with their firearms, and we trotted down the cobblestone path toward the direction of the inn. We could hear the attack taking place in the distance. Pure, relentless savagery, and the tortured screams of the poor lad rang out louder than that of the beast itself. We fired our guns into the air and could hear the monster gallop away, but it wouldn't be gone for long. We had to hurry. We raced up the walkway and found the young man laying on his back. The feathers from his shredded jacket blanketed him like snow. And unfortunately for him, he was still alive. I could see the bite mark on his chest as he lifted himself up into a sitting position. He looked relieved that we were there. Again, the poor lad was showing his ignorance. Thank God you got here when you did. That thing was going to kill me. What was that? We looked at the young man somberly. He had been bitten. He had been cursed. There was only one thing we could do now. Sorry, lad. I pointed the barrel of my gun at his face. I'll never forget the fear that filled the young lad's eyes just before I pulled the trigger. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a bunch of them, and most of them are free with Kindle Unlimited. Don't have Kindle Unlimited? No problem. They're all priced pretty cheap. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Snowed in. I love snow days. I live alone in a high-rise apartment building in a small city. I'm on the fourth floor, so that makes the high-rise aspect of things moot. But I like living on a lower floor. I get to look down on the streets and see the action. The news had been warning us about one of the biggest snowstorms in modern history heading our way, and for once, the news was correct. The entire city was blanketed with walls of snow. I had never seen such big fat flakes in my entire life. My office had preemptively closed for the remainder of the week, so I had a mini vacation of sorts, although I was completely snowed in, so I couldn't go anywhere. And that was just fine with me. I had plenty of groceries to last the remainder of the week, and then some and lots of hot cocoa. Cuddling up on the couch under a fluffy blanket, sipping hot chocolate and watching movies for a few days sounded just fine to me. 
I watched the snowstorm begin the night before from my bedroom window and went to sleep shortly thereafter. I woke up to an honest-to-goodness winter wonderland. Mountains of snow covered the entrances of most of the buildings. There were only a few cars parked on the side of the roads and they were now completely buried and had become snow hills. I stood looking out the frosted window of my apartment and took in the glory of winter. It was magnificent. The snow continued to fall just as thick as it was the night before. The city looked deserted with the exception of two kids who were pulling a bright red sled down Main Street and a man in a thick orange snowmobile suit who was slogging through the snow mounds as he attempted to brush away the snow from his buried vehicle with a puny snowbrush. To his credit, he was making progress. I could see a fragment of the car's hood and a sliver of the driver's side window. Otherwise, I saw no signs of life at all. I went to my kitchen and poured myself a steaming cup of hot chocolate and topped it off with some mini marshmallows. The sweet fragrance of my chocolatey sensation lingered in the air, soothing my chilly bones. Cozy did not begin to describe this day. I fastened my plush Tinkerbell robe, picked up my cup of hot cocoa, and nestled into a cushy chair I had next to the window. I stared out at the falling snow and the peaceful serenity that had enveloped the city. I looked down at the street below me to see what kind of progress the children were making with their sledding adventure, but I didn't see them. All I saw was the red plastic sled sitting abandoned in the middle of the street. I turned my attention to the man in the snowmobile suit who had been working diligently to uncover his car from the Alp of Snow. But he was gone too. I spotted his snowbrush sitting on top of the snow next to his vehicle, but no sign of the man. I peered over to the apartment building across the street to see if anyone else was gazing out their windows as well, when I noticed that the window directly across the street from mine was shattered. I studied the building closer and realized that the majority of the windows in the building were broken. What had happened? I inspected the office building next to it and noticed that several of the windows in that building were busted as well, and the windows that weren't broken were covered with snow, which was odd. Snow didn't typically cake windows like that, unless wind was forcing it to do so, but this wasn't just a few windows, it was all of them. I scanned the entire street and detected that every window of every building I could see was either broken or covered with snow. I was wondering why the snow hadn't plastered my windows as it had the other buildings, but no sooner did that thought enter my mind when the snowflakes began to pelt my window and stick to it like tiny fluffy gobs of gum. Usually when snow sticks to a window, it melts at least slightly due to the warmth on the other side and the flakes run down the window. But this snow was different. It was moving up, down, sideways. It was crawling. The snowflakes were actually crawling all along my window. 
I didn't understand what was happening. I pressed my face against the glass to get a better look at the snowflakes, but they were too small to make out in detail. I grabbed a magnifying glass from a nearby drawer and pushed it against the window for a better look. What I saw made me gasp. These weren't snowflakes at all. They were tiny creatures camouflaged as snowflakes. Their minuscule round mouths were like tiny suction cups sucking away at the glass, not unlike a placostomous suckerfish might do on the side of an aquarium. I could make out rows of tiny fangs that were gnawing at the glass, and then I heard the screeching splintering as webs of fractures overtook the window. Within seconds, every window in my apartment shattered, and the snowflake monsters were floating in and covering the floor of my apartment. From a distance, it would have appeared to be nothing more than enormous, beautiful flakes of snow dropping aimlessly through the broken windows. But there was nothing random about what was happening. The snowflake monsters weren't simply drifting into my apartment. They were swarming in droves. I didn't even have a chance to run and attempt to barricade myself inside my bedroom. Not that that would have accomplished anything. The snowflake beasts were all over me like a swarm of bees on a glazed donut. I could feel their microscopic teeth nibbling at me. At first, I was just itchy. But when the blood appeared, I was burning with pain. The good news was that my suffering was short-lived because it only took them seconds to devour me. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Fragments of Fright, the complete series, is now available. All five volumes of the international best-selling series bundled together into one convenient, horrifying collection. Go to Amazon and search for Fragments of Fright, complete series, or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books.